starting again for the last two weeks. Um, we have been studying the book of Jonah here at Citizens. And basically what we've seen is God using an imperfect prophet to bring his perfect purposes to an imperfect people. We saw in week one, right? What did Jonah uh, recognize and what did he receive? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, right, and said, get up, go to Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? He's out. He ran. He found a ship that was headed for Tarshish, which would have been the furthest point away from Nineveh. And he boarded the ship and he got out of there. It reminds me of when I was 16, literally the day I turned 16. Um, my birthday is in May, at the end of May. And so uh, Emily and I were dating at the time. And because she went to private school, they got out earlier for the summer. And so while we got out in June, because I was public school, um, she got out a lot sooner. And I remember the day I turned 16, uh, me and my dad went to the DMV and I got my license and he went to work and my mom went to work and Emily's parents went to work and Adam went to school. Wrong. Adam went to Emily's house. Now we lived 45 minutes away from each other. I was in Thomasville and she was in Greensboro. And I see my in-laws looking at me like, well, they, I don't think they knew I did that. Okay. <laughs> We're married now, okay? We're, it's fine. But we were like, oh, man, let's just hang out all day. I can finally drive myself to your house. And I went 45 minutes east of Thomasville. Okay, maybe it's east. I don't know. I just made that up. I went 45 minutes away from Ledford High School, okay? And I went as far away of school as I can. I did get in trouble, um, and my parents were really mad. But because they loved me, I lost my license for like 15 minutes, and, and I was driving the next day. Um, so I get what it's like. There's a clear command. And you go the other way. So Jonah's on this ship, right? And a storm comes up. And basically what Jonah recognizes is that, hey, this storm is happening because I am in disobedience. And so he says, throw me into the ocean and everything will be okay. And so the sailors are like, good plan. So they pick him up and they throw him into the ocean. And at the end of chapter, at the end of chapter one, scripture tells us that the Lord appointed a great fish to come and swallow Jonah where he was at for three days and three nights. And so last week we saw, not only was Jonah being tossed into the ocean in disobedience, but in grace, a fish was swallowing him up where he would cry out to the Lord. Last week we saw, right, that there are places of prayer that, that, that Jonah called out in his distress. That there is petition in prayer. That Jonah said, look, while the seaweed was wrapping around me and surely I am on the brink of death, you saw me. Then there is praise in prayer because Jonah recognizes, while it was your breakers and your seaweed that wrapped around me, it was also you, Lord, who raised my life from the pit of death. And so we saw these three things in chapter 2. And now we get here to chapter 3. And once again, we see sovereign vehicles that God will use to show his grace to us and to those around us. And so let's dive in. Jonah chapter 3, this is what it says in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Let's just pause. Underline this. If you have your Bibles out, underline this entire verse. Highlight it. Put asterisks around it, something so that it stands out to you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Good news right up front. Is anybody in here this morning, is anybody in here glad that the Lord will come to them a second time? What about a third time? What about a fourth time? I mean, to a 16-year-old punk kid who just disobeys and goes to his girlfriend's house instead of going to school, 
Like, I was a believer at that point. <laughs> I'm really glad that the Lord would have grace, and my parents and my in-laws would have grace on me in those moments. The Lord is coming to Jonah a second time. And I just want to land here for a second because this was so, so instrumental. As I was studying this, this, this scripture and reading what other folks had to say about it, this was so instrumental for me, and I think it will be for you too, because who has ever heard this, that God is a God of second chances? You've heard that, right? Maybe you've said that. Well, is there a difference in a second chance versus a second time? Because the verse here does not say, and the Lord came to Jonah and gave him a second chance. But rather, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now, I love what Pastor Joby Martin says about this because he says if Jonah had a second chance, he'd just blow it again. I kind of think about it like this. When I was um, in school and, and we had to have both Greek and Hebrew, like the languages of the scriptures, um, I was not that good at it. And some could say that it was because I didn't study, but I would like to blame the professor. <laughs> and here's what I know. If you were to give me a Hebrew test right now, you'd be like, should this dude be our pastor? I'd fail. But then what if in grace you gave it to me a second time? You gave me a second chance at the same test. Do you think I would pass? No. You see, what I need is not a second chance at taking the test. What would be really good for me is if the professor would take that test and then accredit the grade to my account. And folks, this is the gospel. Not that you need a second chance and not that the Lord offers you a second chance, but that the Lord offers you a second time. You see, giving a second chance to redo the Hebrew test or to, to go to school versus Emily's house, I'd blow it again. A second chance does nothing but delay the inevitable in you and my life that there is no good with a second chance because you and I know how fickle we are, right? A second chance does us no good. A second chance does Jonah no good because Jonah's calling was too big for God to leave it up to a second chance because you know what the difference between chance and a second time is? A second chance kind of puts the ball in our court, right? If God was to give Jonah a second chance, it's like, okay, Jonah, what are you going to do? But if the Lord comes to us and comes to Jonah a second time, could it be that the balls are in his court? And that he is the one not asking but commanding. A second chance puts all the pressure on me. A second time puts all the dependency on the Lord. And what Jonah needs is not a second chance. But he needs to, the Lord to come a second time. And what happens when the Lord comes a second time is that the Lord speaks into his life and calls out his God-given calling and conviction. His call was too big for a second chance. The Lord needed to come to him, not asking, but get this, telling. And follower of Jesus, listen to me. You in here this morning may believe that you need a second chance in life because you've blown it. But you don't need a second chance. Because given a second chance, you'll blow it again. You know what you need? You know what I need? I need the Lord to come to me a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time, 
I don't need a second chance as if it's all about me. I need the Lord to meet me in my disobedience and command my spirit again to rise and walk out my God-given calling. What you and I in here need this morning is to train the ears of our heart to hear the commands of the Lord, to hear the word of the Lord coming back to your soul, back to your spirit a second time, a third time, a hundredth time, a millionth time. Not asking you what you're going to do, but telling you that you were made for more. Who would rather have that than a second chance? You need a second time. You need a fourth time. I don't want a second chance. I'll blow it. And if you're taking notes, write this down. (laughs) It's good news that the Lord commands rather than asking. It's good news that the Lord comes to you And if your life is hidden in Christ that he commands, he does not ask. And maybe you're in here and this whole God thing is new to you and you think, man, that just seems like the the grumpy old man in the sky, right? That, That may be what you think when you think of God, that he's just puppeteering everything. And so this point makes sense to you because you're like, of course he doesn't ask me. He just commands me because he's mean. But do you realize what comes when the Lord commands? Number one, who is he commanding? Broken people like you and me. Do you recognize the grace that is found in that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time? Because where is Jonah in this moment? He's been disobedient. He didn't do anything to make this fish come and then spit him up. He didn't do anything. He's in direct disobedience to the Lord, and the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. Who does the commands of the Lord come to? Broken people like you and me who are a lot of times in disobedience. Are you struggling in here this morning? Are you broken? Are you angry? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Are you just disobedient? The word of the Lord is coming to you a second time, and so my question for you is, have you heard the Lord speak to you a second time or a third time or a fourth time? about something he is commanding you to do and you've neglected it? Has the word of the Lord come to your heart and you just know there is something that the Lord is calling you to, but you've rejected it? And even though you and I reject these things, is he being gracious coming to you once again today, not with a second chance, but with a God-giving calling because that's what happens to Jonah. In his disobedience, the Lord says, I am coming to you once again, my son. And I am calling out of you something way too big for me to risk it on you making the right decision or not. So that's what happens. Let's keep reading. Jonah chapter 3, verse 2. This is what the Lord said. Notice he's not asking. He's commanding. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. (laughs) Jonah got up. Went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh because the Lord commanded him to. And why is he to go to Nineveh? Is Jonah to go to Nineveh because God needed Jonah? No. Is Jonah to go to Nineveh because he is going to be the best preacher ever? We're about to read it in a couple verses. No. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Because God demanded it. And for God's purposes and what he wills, he uses people like you and me. He doesn't ask, he commands. 
Guys, I'll be honest with you this morning. If I could do anything other than what I'm doing, I think I would do it. Like, I'd go sell ice cream. No one's mad at the ice cream man. But, like, I'm not a martyr, but, like, a lot of me and Emily's life is just like, man, can we handle this? So many decisions and so much to do and so little time, and it's like, man, if I could do anything else, why, why not? I would be pretty good at sales, okay? I get that. I'm like, man, I was talking to a friend who's going through realty school right now. I'm like, I think I could do that and make some, some more money than I'm making here. But if God has called me to something, then I can't get away from it. And that's what Jonah is experiencing. Get up. Go to Nineveh. The Lord commands. He does not ask. And so Jonah goes. And as I <laughs> introspectively looked at my own heart, and I began to think, like, what, is, what does this look like for Adam? Know, knowing that I've been called and, and knowing that some days I struggle, I think this is, this is what it looks like, and it looks like this in Jonah's life. Write this down. Obedience follows repentance. Why did Jonah go to Nineveh? Because he had repented in the belly of the fish. And then when the fish spit him up, he knew my only, only, only response to the Lord is obedience. You see, unlike the first time, Jonah immediately gets up to journey to Nineveh. And when you and I recognize that God has been gracious to us and called us to repent and called us to more, the only response is obedience, guys. Are you being obedient today? Are you laying down everything before the Lord of all today? Because in this moment, it is God calling out the life that he has destined for Jonah. And I love this because what it shows us is this, that God does not just call us from something, he calls us to something. You see, it was grace that the fish swallowed up Jonah. But it was even greater grace, grace upon grace, that the fish would spit him up exactly where the Lord needed him to go. Do you see that? The Lord did not just call him from the belly of the whale, but he called him to this God-given purpose to go to Nineveh. Jonah reports in Jonah 2 that it was God's grace and kindness that he rescued him from the pit of death. And just as Jonah was called from the belly of fish, he was called to the divine calling, and this is how the Lord has always worked. Do you recognize this morning that the Lord is not just calling you out of something, but he is calling you to something? So many times, especially when we don't know the God of the universe, this is what we think, that God is a party foul. That he's a wet blanket in my calling. He's a wet blanket in my life. He is someone who just wants me to do the good things and not do the bad things. But do you know that that is not who our God is this morning? Do you recognize what it means that, that the Lord would have the fish spit Jonah up in the direction that he was calling him to? It reminds me of this verse. It'll be on the screen. John 10, 10. This is the words of Jesus. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. What does Jesus say here? I have not come to be a party foul. I am not here to tell you to stop doing bad things. I am here so that you may have life and have it to the full, some translations say. God does not just call us from something. He calls us to something. He does not just call us away from drunkenness. He calls us to sobriety. He does not just call us away from sexual impurity. He calls us to holiness because it is in those things that life is found, and that's what Jesus came to do. 
And so very simple for us today. Where do we need to repent? Where do we need to confess? Where do we need to take a step of obedience in the abundant life that Jesus is promising for us? Where do you and where do I? You see, for Jonah, it was dry yourself off because I have something better for you. Walk in my command. And he does that. Let's keep reading. This is what happens. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. And then verse 4 says this. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. And then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. Here's his message. You ready for this? Turn or burn. In Hebrew, and I'm not that great at Hebrew, but I do know this. In Hebrew, this sermon is five words. And the people believe. Man, what a great gospel presentation, right? Many times, we are so fearful that we will not know what to say. I don't know if Jonah knew what to say. And he just spit it out. Turn, because in 40 days, the Lord is going to demolish this city. So many times we think, man, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? I think Jonah shows that it, it, it doesn't take many words, but just words of faith. Did Jonah believe that God would do it? He was just swallowed by a fish. So I think if the Lord came to Jonah and said, tell Nineveh this, he believed it, and so he preaches it. And here's the irony in all of this. You ready? If you study the Old Testament time and time again, not perfect prophets, but faithful prophets come to the Lord's people in Israel, and they say what? Repent and turn to the Lord. Repent and turn to the Lord. Repent and turn to the Lord. And what does Israel, God's chosen people, what do they do? They turn away from the Lord. And the irony here is that the Lord does not send a prophet like Isaiah or a prophet like Jeremiah who faithfully served for years and was called the weeping prophet because no one repented. He sends Jonah, a man who is messed up, a man who is racist, a man who is in disobedience, and in five words, the entire nation turns to the Lord. Do you see the irony in here? We see here that it was enough for the people. This decree of judgment got their attention and turned their hearts towards God. Because I love what the scriptures say here, that as Jonah proclaims this message, that people do not believe in Jonah, but they believe in who? God. This word from Jonah, however short, however full of anger, was from the Lord. And because it was from the Lord, the people believed, and they put their faith in him. Simply put, write this down. Be faithful to go and tell, and God will save people. The formula has always been the same. And let me be honest with you this morning. I'm not that good at this. Even today, it kind of scares me a little bit to go share my faith. Standing up on stage, that's the easy part. It's the random Tuesday at Kyle's Coffee when someone strikes up a conversation with me and I could take the two seconds that it would take just to see how their day is going, do they know the Lord, whatever that looks like, share a little bit about my encouragement through the day, so many times I don't. So if you were in here today and you're like, man, I'm so scared to share my faith, you're in good company. And that is something that the Lord is working on my heart. 
That is something that I need the Spirit to keep working on me with. But there's good news for people that are scared to share their faith. Because as we've been talking about, what do we recognize? Was Jonah a completely new man? No. Was Jonah the perfect vessel to go to Nineveh? Maybe not. And we will see next week that Jonah's response to the people's repentance is not in love and holiness. It's in anger. Jonah still had his baggage. And maybe you in here have baggage. That's okay. Because here's the good news. God doesn't need perfect people, but willing people. You know who he needed to go to Nineveh? Not a perfect prophet, but an obedient one. When he hears the word of the Lord come to him a second time, get off his butt and go. God doesn't need perfect people, as if there are perfect people. And I'll just throw this out there. God doesn't need perfect churches. He needs broken churches of all sizes, of all shapes, of all practices, so that he will receive the glory. Are you willing today? Because God used Jonah and used Jonah in all of his mess. And why can't he do that with you? Why can't he do that with you? You want to know why? This is why we disqualify ourselves before God does. We disqualify ourselves before the Lord does. Adam, you just don't know what I've done. If you only knew my sins, if you only knew where I fell short, there's no way that I could preach the gospel to someone. I'm not even worthy to hold a door here at Citizens. How many of you have felt that way before? Do you realize that the guy preaching has felt that way before too? That it's like, how can I preach on Sunday when my week has looked like blank? Guess what? It's not about you. And you disqualify yourself long before the Lord does. It's not about you. Why will people get saved every week in the local church? Not because we're so great. Why will your coworkers and your classmates and those you interact with every day be, become saved when you share faithfully or pray with them? Not because you're great, but because that's the avenue that God uses to save people. Have you disqualified yourself this morning? And you think you're too dumb? You're too far gone? And the Lord is probably just done with you. If you're thinking that this morning, maybe we should turn our eyes away from our sin and away from us for a second and look to the Lord who doesn't disqualify us just as quickly. God says, I see you. I see your mess, Jonah. Now go and preach. And he does. One man put it like this, that often our mess becomes our ministry, our God-given assignment. Are you neglecting to use the mess that you are in because you think you were too far gone? I mean, Jonah walks into this city and says, turn or burn, and the people all the way down to the animals are put on a fast, okay? They rejoiced in the word of the Lord. So if he can do that and the Lord can use Jonah, why can't he use you? On my best days, I remember this. And on my worst days, I completely forget about this. And as I'm writing down in my notes that it's not about you, it's not about you. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about myself. Because I have a wife who is faithfully to tell me, I'll come home on some Sundays and be like, man, that Sunday was just terrible. I did bad, like, it was just weird. And you know what she says to me? Why are you so selfish? 
Seriously, we've had this conversation. Where it's like, do you really think it's all about you? Are we still stuck in this life where we think it is all about us? Or is it about a faithful God who will turn around a nation of about 120,000 at this point? Don't be so selfish, man. And so where are your eyes this morning? Are they on you and your mess? Or are they on the Lord that can actually do something? Well, for a moment, let's keep reading, and we're going we're gonna to end in just a second. And this is the gospel in Jonah, as some people have put it, because let's read starting in verse 6, okay? When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink any water. So once again, the animals are on a fast, okay? And it's like, what did we do? We're just, you know, I'm a, I'm a cattle out in a pasture, and now we're not eating any. So this is what happens. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered in sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. And then verse 9. Don't gloss over this. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. What Jonah has just recognized had to have shocked him. Because not only has the word reached the people, but the word has reached the king. And what happens to the king in this passage is he becomes so undone. Like the prophet Isaiah, when he is in the holy temple, that word undone, he has been so undone by the Lord's presence that Jonah witnesses a king, an evil king, step off his throne and lead his people in a way of repentance and belief. Jonah has just stepped into one of the nastiest nations in the world and has witnessed the Lord do a miraculous work in them. You see, for the king of Nineveh to step off his throne and put on sackcloth and sit in ashes, it was an act of repentance for his sin. They would do this in this time. That before the Lord, if you were repentant, you would put on sackcloth, which is not comfortable, okay? And you would sit in ashes so that the external would represent the internal that you were feeling. That I want to sit in something that is so itchy and uncomfortable and dirty because that is how I feel on the inside. And I am repenting before the Lord. The sackcloth and ashes were uncomfortable and symbolized that the entire nation is now repenting. But what's fascinating is in verse 9. Because as the king declares that no one is to eat or drink or anything, he says this in verse 9. And who knows? Maybe God will turn and relent. And he may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. The king says, who knows? And as you and I living on this side of the resurrection, here's what we say if we could jump into the story. I know. I know. As the king living on that side of the resurrection, it hasn't happened yet. He says, who knows? Maybe if we turn and repent, the Lord won't destroy us like Jonah just said. And as you and I living in 2022, we could step into the story and we could say, I know that he won't. 
And what we could say if we were to even get into the same room as the king is we could say, hey, living in 2022, this is what I know. That there was another king who stepped off his throne not to be saved but to save. And that there was another king who stepped off his throne that didn't need to repent, did not need to put on sackcloth and ashes, but was a king who put on flesh so that you and I could be repentant and turn from our sins. In fact, this is what we could say. Let's turn to it. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It'll be on the screen. This is what we could say to the king once we get there. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And this is where Paul is going to say this is what it looks like when a king steps off his throne. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What we could say if we stepped into the story is, I know that there is a greater king. And because he stepped off his throne, king of Nineveh, he will certainly hear your repentance. I know that he will because this is what I'm holding on to. 1 John 1, 9, it'll be on the screen. If we confess our sins, he Jesus is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know that this is the gospel, that we are people living on this side of the resurrection. We are Easter people, and we get to confess, and we get to believe that the Lord has called sin out of us. And just as we read in the beginning of this service in Ephesians 1, that he is predestined to adopt us as his sons and daughters, and he has called us according to his purposes. That is the gospel. That the Lord right now is calling you out of disobedience into obedience that looks like life. That right now, you and I know that if we confess our sins, confess our wrongdoing, confess our unrighteousness, that he is faithful to not only hear us, but to do something about it. King of Nineveh, I know. And so as the king says in verse 9, who knows? Who knows? Maybe if we actually do this, who knows? Maybe God will spare us. And we say, I know. But then as we close, look at verse 10. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster that he had threatened with them, and he did not do it. God saw their actions. Aren't you grateful this morning that the Lord doesn't just see your sin, but he sees your heart towards him repenting from all unrighteousness, slowly but surely being morphed into the image of the perfect son of God, that you and I would become more like Jesus. Yeah, we're broken. Yeah, we struggle. Yes, we sin. But that the Lord will come to us a second time. 
He will come to us a thousandth time. And once again, remind us, if you repent, and if you confess, I am faithful to forgive you and remove you, remove all the unrighteousness. God saw their actions, not just their sin, and their repentance, and he relented. So this morning, our sermon in a sentence is simply this, just simple application for us this morning, that there is power in the posture of your heart. There is power in the posture of your heart. What was the king's posture? Get off his throne and sit in sackcloth and ashes. And so is your posture this morning one of humility or one of pride? In your posture, the posture of your heart, are you like the prophet Isaiah saying, I am a man, I am a woman of unclean lips? That in humility we recognize that we are undone before the Lord. Are you metaphorically covering yourself in sackcloth and ashes, asking the Lord to forgive your sins, asking the Lord to, to make you more like him, or are you still demanding to sit on the throne of your heart? A simple question for all of us today as EJ and Bethany come back up is who is sitting on the throne of your heart? For the king to step off was a sign of repentance. It was a sign of renewal. It was a sign of action as God calls something out of them. Are you sitting on the throne of your heart? Or is the Lord? You see, there are power in both of those postures. Either posture. There's power in the posture of you sitting on your heart. And there's power in the posture of the Lord sitting on the throne of your heart, but only from one does grace flow. There's great power in pride. Let's just be honest. You want to get ahead in life? Be prideful. Cut corners. Care about yourself more than you care about people. You'll get ahead. There's a lot of power in that. But if you were to step off the throne and say, Lord, you are on the throne of my heart, and you trade pride for humility, and you trade looking out for me for looking out for everybody else, there's also great power in that. But grace only flows from one of those places. You see, I remember when I was younger, one of the things we would do as a family is we would go up into the mountains and my grandmother loved to like pan for, for gems and stuff in the mountains, right? Like, like if you've ever been to the Appalachian Mountains, you can go to these places and you basically just, you know, pay $20 for a bucket of dirt and you hope that you find more than a rock because what you would do is you would put the dirt and everything in there in a little pan and as water would, would flow through the funnel and the chute, you would like put your pan under there and, and, and the water would remove the dirt and remove all the grime and, and what was left was what you were hoping was a really nice gemstone. Well, we never found anything but dirt, but here's the thing. You know what you could do? And especially as a little kid, I loved this. You didn't have to find anything naturally because you could go into the gift shop and you could buy these gems. And you could buy gold. And I remember having a chunk of gold. And, and as a little kid, I was like, man, this is, why do we waste our time and our money doing this? And we can just buy it. And you know what they call that gold? Fool's gold, right? It had all the appearance of prestige and value and worth but it was fool's gold as long as you sit on the throne of your heart there is a picture of power and prestige and value 
But you know what it is? It's fool's gold. It's not the real thing. Real power looks like a king stepping off his throne, taking on the likeness of a servant, and being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, as Philippians tells us. So who is on the throne of your heart? If that's you on the throne of your heart, it's real shiny, and it's worked pretty good. But it's fool's gold. Why not step off the throne of your heart, cover yourself in sackcloth and ashes, and recognize that place was made for you, Lord, not me. And experience true power, true posture. There is false power in I am king. There is true power in Jesus is king. Jonah saw the king respond. And in the king's response, God's grace was lavished upon the Ninevites. Today will you change your posture? And will you step off the throne? Guys, between you and me, you don't make a great king or queen. Adam, (laughs) I'm a terrible king. And so maybe today, as we sing and as we recognize the Lord's goodness together, maybe you would just step out. And you would go to the back where we have our prayer team. I'll be back there. And maybe today you would step out and just say, look, I have been on the throne of my heart for so long and it's not working. It has the appearance that it's working, but it's not working. And maybe you need to step out today and say, hey, as a form of repentance, I am getting up from my seat and I am coming to ask for prayer. And I am hoping that the Lord would see my repentance and forgive me of my unrighteousness. And unlike the king of Nineveh, you don't have to say, who knows, maybe he'll see you. We can say, nah, he'll see you. And he sees you now. So if the Lord is calling you, as we stand and as we sing, evaluate who is on the throne of my heart. Is it me or is it the Lord? And let's all get it right this morning.